Welcome to Salem First Assembly Podcast. May this week's message by Pastor Brian D. Corkin be a blessing to your life in helping you to grow in your understanding of God's Word, strengthen your faith, and equip you to become all that God has created you to be. Are you ready to go? All right, good. I'm, good. I'm glad you're ready because we're finally coming to the last message of 1 Peter. And um, I was just talking to the Lord and I said, Lord, it's been 18 messages um, for 1 Peter and I've taken three chapters in one message. Uh, the last three chapters, I've taken the whole thing, the whole chunk. And I was saying, Lord, could you imagine if I just would, you know, take it verse by verse? And we'd probably reach 2025. You know, God's Word has so much good stuff in it. it oh, I'm telling you what, it is good. And the more you learn about God's Word, the more you understand how good it is. So we're going to look at chapter 5, and I want to show you five things to know about serving God. Five things to know about serving God. Now, I don't know about you, but when someone's about to leave you, um, they're taking off, going on a trip and stuff. Uh, it's like my mother. When my mother used to say to me, I would be leaving, and she would all say, make sure you do this, make sure you, do, make sure you wear a hat. Make, you know. I don't know if you had a mom like mine, but my mom kept on telling me to wear a hat to the day she, she left this place. She was like, Mom, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a big boy now. I can know whether I need a hat. But nevertheless... When persons are, you're leaving them for some reason or, or you're writing a letter to them, you usually make sure you put at the end what's really important to you. At the end of that letter, you, if you, you want to emphasize something. And I, I really see this in the writing of the Spirit here in chapter 5 of 1 Peter. You see, we're talking about a people who are under persecution. And I want you to get this now. A lot of people don't get it. They read scripture and they say, yeah, they're under persecution. But they don't put themselves in the persecution. They don't put themselves in a problem. It's so easy to talk about someone who has a problem. Oh, have you heard such and such? They have a problem. Oh, poor thing. And then we change channels and we just move on. And we don't recognize, wait a minute, wait a minute. It must be hard to be in this situation. Wait a minute. It must be really Lonely to be in that situation. And sometimes when we can put our minds and our hearts in that where someone's going through, it can change maybe the way you will act. So here are these individuals going through trials and troubles and tribulations. They're, they're not treated kindly. They're now in northern uh, Asia Minor and they are leaving places. They're scattered all over the place because of the persecution. And they're under and it's tough. They're under pressure. They're experiencing pain. They're having problems. And it's really tough on them when they're under the pressure. But we also see that the Spirit of God is reminding them what God has provided. This is some of the things that we've talked about, we've gone over. Because 1 Peter is teaching them what God has done for them. It's important. The position and the provision that we find in Christ. Someone just say those two words. Position and provision. The position and provision. God has given you a ranking, anointing son and daughter of Almighty God. And a position where you now rank part of the family. God has brought you out of the pit, brought you to the palace. 
It's incredible what God has done. God has provided for us peace and his presence in all that we do. God has promised benefits and blessings when we really put Christ at the center of our life. Now watch this. In this scripture, it talks about how we are to live in relationships. And you know what? When it comes to relationships, do you know problems that we experience in life come from, most of the percentage comes from relationships. Relationships. But in 1 Peter, it talks about the circumstances and the conduct of a believer and how a believer is to act and respond in relationship. We are taught how to treat others in relationship and recognize that there's a contrast and there's a consequence to our unbelief. I don't know about you, but if you should, and I would recommend you reading 1 Peter again, just go through the whole thing. And as you do, I would ask that you would just sit down and don't say, well, I've already read this before, and yeah, yeah, I know. You know what? When people say, yeah, yeah, I know, they have put a cap on their learning. Because learning is a constant, constant. I, keep, I can read the same portion of Scripture sometimes, and God keeps speaking. You know, it's sort of like this. This is what I see with God. With God, it's like a funnel. It's like a funnel. And we think, we think that we start off in the beginning and it's so wide and we're like, oh, wow, there's so much to learn. But we think after a few years, we feel like it gets smaller. And we like, oh, I understand now. But it's not works that way. I tell people all the time, God is the opposite. It's a funnel upside down. You start off where it's narrow with God. And the more you know about God, the deeper his love gets the deeper his grace gets, the deeper his mercy gets. And before you know it, 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 it's beyond what you can think. So let's take a journey today and go to chapter 5. And let's talk about five things to know about serving God. Let's go ahead and... Could you hit me? Let's go ahead and look at first... The first point comes in first, the first verse. And we're going to talk about leaders are to lead with a willful heart. Leaders are to lead with a willful heart. Verse 1. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder, a witness of Christ, suffering and the one who also will share in the glory to be revealed. I want you to understand that elder actually means presbyter, presbyterius, or you could say bishop, or you could say pastor. It is individuals who are in a leadership position. Paul or Peter is uh, saying to himself, I'm an elder. And he's speaking as an elder to elders who are teaching. Individuals who have some form of leadership, and you could say influence, that impact others. So we're talking about leaders, and leaders need to lead with a willful heart. We're going to talk about what that means quite a bit today because it's important that we understand that. He, he talks, identifies himself as, a, as an elder, one firsthand experience on suffering in the name of Jesus Christ. Now, this is important because, see, we want to be followers of Jesus Christ, but when it gets hard and when we have to suffer because we believe a certain belief, this is where Christians start to become chameleons. This was where, where people, instead of 
be having backbones, having live fish swim upstream. This is where sometimes believers just rather be a dead fish flowing downstream and they, and they lose it because it's getting tough. It, it's hard. It, 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 this is not easy. At one time, being a Christian was easy. It was an accepted view that was in our society. Today, that is no longer the case. And it's going to get worse as we get further and further away from God. Because this is our nation is turning its back on God, just like the people of Israel has done. Now, God has a lot of people in our country, just as well as God had a lot of people in Israel. Nevertheless, the way they went and how God dealt with them, but they still refused to listen, even when God was trying to deal with them. Our pains in our society today, I'm going to tell you, is, is brought upon us because of our own disobedience in God. I don't care you want to take COVID, you want to take our finances, and that's another thing coming, coming down the line. Let me tell you, so all these things are happening, and you haven't seen nothing yet, saints. And when tough times come, this is when you're going to have to rise up and know who your God is. He needs to be your full portion, not a partial portion. You need to really get a hold of how great he is, not just in a song, but in a demonstration of life. Because it is hard, really hard. But this is what First Peter is talking about. This is what he's talking about. He's talking about these individuals who lead. And he's saying, listen, I understand that. But he also says another thing that we have to realize here is he says, one who shares in the blessing and the glory that will be revealed in Jesus Christ. Meaning, someone say this, the best is yet to come. You know what? When, when things are tough, that's all we see is the hardship. People get discouraged. You know why people get discouraged? Because all they're looking at is an event. But they're forgetting about the one who's over the event. When things don't go our way, we get discouraged because I wanted this. But we don't realize, we don't realize that God's working things out. All you need to do is take a chill pill. That's all you need to do. Take a chill pill and, and trust God. So let me read a couple of scriptures to you. Because we're going to talk about leading with a heart that's willful. In 1 Peter 1, right from the very beginning, it says, In you, you greatly rejoice. Now, the list was just that the Lord's reminding them you have an inheritance. You have an inheritance that won't fade away. You've got to live in hope. And just a whole list of what God's provided. And then this verse comes right after. In this, you greatly rejoice. We love when things go good. We don't like it when things go bad. Though for now, for a little while, you may have to suffer grief of all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even through refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ revealed. Meaning that sometimes we go through the mess because God's trying to bless. You get to know who God is through a trial. People don't understand that you really get to see God's hand, God's provision when you go through a trial. You have to allow God to see you through. First Peter, again, same chapter, chapter 1, verse 23. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable. Though the living and the enduring word of God, for all men are like grass... And all the glory is like a flower of the field. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord stands forever. He's trying to remind us, trying to remind us that what we see fades away. Come on, have you ever seen 
Well, I see this all the time because I'm on a main highway, but I see all these cars crushed. And they're only about a foot high, I say 18 inches high, crushed, all going to the junk, all going to the scrap. At one time, these cars were great, but look where they're going. Everything's going to fade. But we live this life, boy, get all we can, the can all we can get, and then sit on the can. And that's how we live our life. We, so many people are just trying to get, 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 get. But they're not living life, give, 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 give. No, they want to get, not give. The scripture, though, tells us, blessed is he who gives than to receive. Don't get me wrong, it's a beautiful thing to receive, but when God causes you to receive, he gives you now an opportunity to, okay, now how can I give? How can I bless someone else, too? In 1 Peter chapter 4, listen to again, beautiful portion. But rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ. Did you get that? Rejoice when you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when... His glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. Did you get that? And the Spirit of God rests on you. When you're insulted, you're blessed. Next time someone insults you, go like this. <laughs> Thank you. I feel so blessed. You'll mess them up. You'll mess them up. You know, you're driving down the road, and someone says, you're number one. You say, well, thank you for blessing me. The reality is we don't see it as a blessing. When you're under suffering, it hurts. It's hard. It's difficult. But Jesus is telling us, wait, 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 wait. If you're suffering for my name, don't worry. Things are not done yet. Just look unto me. Let's look here. Verse 2 and 3. Now continue talking about the leaders. He says, be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care. Serving as overseers, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be. Not greedy for money, not eager to serve, not lording over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. Now, now Peter, by the Spirit of God, is telling the people who are under great anguish to say, you know what? You have an opportunity to shine You have an opportunity to let my light, my power, flow through you if you could only just let me. I I want you to, this is is important. Because see, God says he's given the leaders with people underneath their care. Let me ask you a question. When you go to the doctor, when you go to the doctor, do you expect the doctor to give you good care? Hmm, Yeah. You expect the doctor to get, but have you ever gone to the doctor and the doctor didn't give you good care? You ever gone to a doctor and stuff and they come into the room and, uh, what's your problem, uh-huh, and they're out in less than a minute? And you go, uh, 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 uh. You know, you, you, you see, we all have responsibilities and he's saying, shepherds, listen to me. I want you to serve me because you're willing. I want you to serve me because you want to serve. Sometimes there are people in the medical field who love to serve. You can tell they have a gift of being in that place because not only are they know what they're talking about, but they're gifted with a heart. They're gifted because they care. And because they care, they make the best servants. But you take a servant who doesn't care and that the heart's not connected to it, they make the worst servants. Can you go do that? Or just simple, can you go do this? Yeah, right, I'll do it. Yeah. See, 
God doesn't want us to begrudge his work. God doesn't want us to begrudge when a request is coming unto us. He's saying, shepherds, leaders, I want you to do it. And I want you to do it with the right heart to serve. Because God's always looking at the heart. As God wants you to be. This is the part I love the most. Right? Look at it. Because you are willing as God wants you to be. God wants you to be a person that is serving because you want to. Little time, a story of a, a, um, a little boy who was in church and his mother couldn't, couldn't, just couldn't get him to sit down. Not at all. He said, Johnny, sit down. Said, then before you know it, he's standing up. Johnny, sit down. And Johnny sit down and he's standing up. And money, his mother said, I said, Johnny, you're going to be grounded for a week. If you don't sit down, puts his hands like this, sits down. Mother says, good. Well, I'm sitting, Mom, but inside my heart, I'm standing. You see, God sees the heart. Sometimes we can go through the motions, but listen, God sees the real heart. And the heart is always a matter because it's a matter of the heart. And if we can get that, it's important. You know why God used David? You know why God used this, this, this guy who seems to be the most unlikely that wasn't even invited to the, the party? You know why God used David? It tells us that David's heart was connected to God's heart. Therefore, his heart was connected to God's people. Watch what it says here in Psalm 7870. This is, this is the psalmist, and this is also this is God speaking. He chose David, his servant, and took him from the sheep pens. From tending the sheep, he brought him to be the shepherd of the people Jacob of Israel and his inheritance. And David shepherded them with integrity of heart. With skilled hands, he led them. Integrity of heart. Every leader in what you lead must have an integrity of heart. It doesn't make a difference what skill you have, what gift you have. If you don't do it in the right way, it's not going to bring a result or a proper uh, glory to God. If you want to be grunging the things you do and complain about what you do, you're missing how God has called us to serve him. I don't know about you, but just go one step further. Let's say you have a friend. You have a friend, and you ask your friend a small favor. Hey, listen, I have a flat tire in my car. I have an appointment for 4 o'clock. Can you give me a ride? And your friend says, man, you called me. I just sat down to eat. I mean, I just cooked it, everything. Do they have to be now? Hmm. Let's go through that again. I have an appointment for 4. I need a ride. What's the answer to that? Yes! Because he's got an appointment and he had a flat tire. A good friend wouldn't even think about food. You got it, buddy. That's it. Could you imagine that? God say to you, hey, I want you to do something. Uh, you know, God, kind of tired. Do I really have to do it? I could just imagine sometimes what God may say. He would love to say to us. And one day he will. One day we'll get a chance to see what God really thinks. It challenges all of us. Challenges me, it challenges you, it challenges the people at church to say, are we really all in, people? Are we? 
Because we have a world out there who's really lost and and dying. And we need to be his mouthpiece. We need to be his hands. We need to be his salt. And sometimes, and sometimes, we just, just, well, it's okay. No, it really isn't okay. You know, it's not okay that your doctor's about to do brain surgery and, well, you know, he failed his test. It's not okay. You know, because you, you got to do brain surgery, you want the best doctor out there. You want that doctor to be all in. It's like the commercials they have on TV. You know, a guy who's, you know, it's going to a tough operation. Ah, it's okay. It's not, it's not that bad. It has its problems. <laughs> the doctor's saying that to you before surgery. You're like, hey, what do you mean have his problems? Well, you know. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's an amazing thing what God has done. God has given us the promises that he's going to be there. You know, when you go through your Bible, there's a lot of promises. There's a man out there, Hubert Locklear. He went through all the Bible and he came up with 7,147 promises God made to man. Now, there are some people who have different numbers, but there's a lot of promises in Scripture that God made to man. I want you to know David was all in. But if you don't line your heart up with God, there's going to be some major static taking place. You're not going to hear. You're not going to have clarity because your heart is not lined up. David, with integrity of heart and with skilled hands, he led them. And I believe those two are essential an integrity heart causes skill to rise because a person wants to do his best job and is not going to just get through the motions. I'll share something with you, a personal thing. I was studying a message one day, and um, of course, my mom lived with us for quite a while, and I was doing a message, and I was working a long time on message. I put a lot of time into my messages. It's not something that people think I spit them out like, like, I don't know what. And, um, and so I would put a long time. And mama said, why are you? Well, she said to me, why are you put, you put so much time? You know? And you know all this stuff. You have all this schooling. You got this. You got this. Just, just go with it. Go from the hip, she said to me. Just go from the hip. And I said, mom, the day I go from the hip is the day I'll sit down and listen to somebody else. You don't treat God's word from the hip. You give God your best. In everything you do, I give God my best in my area. You give God your best in your area. And you let God bring the increase. Because all have giftings, but don't take your giftings lightly either. It's so important. God wants us to be all in. He wants us to really be there. Look, look, look at the Garden of Eden. Garden of Eden. Garden of Gethsemane. Look at Jesus in great pain. His disciples have left him. He's praying, and he says these words, not my will, but thy will be done. Wait a minute, wait a minute. So the Lord who loved us so much, who actually calls us his best friend if we obey his word, was willing to lay down his life and suffer, and suffer for our, for our sake so that we can have benefits and blessings. Asks me, well, okay, God, if you're willing to do that for me, I'm willing to do that for you. You see the difference? Problem is, when things don't go the way we want, we have a hissy fit with God. The problem is, when we do, it affects our character. 
When it does, it affects our process. When it does, it affects our life. Because we expect God to do what we want when we want it. And when it doesn't happen, we have a hissy fit and we get mad. And all it does is interrupt God's plan. Doesn't end it, but it sure can put an interruption in it. Jesus was so in. I love what happens with his disciples. His disciples uh, come together and they say, and they're urging him to eat. And Jesus says in John 4, I have food to eat you know nothing about. Think about this. Jesus was so focused on fulfilling and being consistent to the work that he had to do, he wasn't worried about physical food. Because his eternal food, this connection, this vertical connection was feeding him in his direction. I I want us to get it because it's important. He says, Jesus had a purpose. In verse 2, in this verse 2, it says this, Don't be greedy for money, but eager to serve. Don't be greedy for money. People, money, money, money. Listen, money is a tool. Don't get, I like to invest it. I like to make it grow. I, I like to do everything possible so that I can be a blessing to someone else. And when God brings increase, I say, praise the Lord. Lord, what are we going to do? Because I don't believe in just having money sit somewhere. That should be working for you. You only have so many hours in a day. But a dollar can turn into a dollar ten, to dollar twenty, to dollar thirty, and so forth. When you why use it and don't spend it. What I'm trying to say is, it's, I'm not in ministry because of money. Lord knows, I, was, I could make three digits when I was in the world. Money is a tool to be used for the glory of Christ. But sometimes leaders get in it for the money. And they just, not that they have bad hearts, and sometimes they just, well, they just get straight away a little bit. And they need something in life to bring them back home. To realize, why am I doing this? Why are we doing this? Don't lord over those entrusted to you. You know, sometimes people want power. They want power to try to have things done the way they want. You know what real leadership is? Real leadership is is helping people reach to their full potential. Not for what they could do for you, but how can I help you to get to the level where God wants you? That's what leadership is. Leadership is saying, listen, I want to bring you, this is your potential, this is where you're living, but this is what your potential to do. The problem is, you don't want to listen to what God's trying to say. You're on your own thing, how you want to do it. You're fighting against him, you're complaining about things, you're finding all the negative stuff. And God says, stop child, I want to bring you here. Leadership wants to bring you here. And sometimes that's not happens in leadership. Sometimes in leadership, they sing the song, well, it's all about me, when it's not. Then I love the last, on the end of here, it says, be a good example. Everybody should be a good example. Look at your neighbor and say, be a good example. So we look at leadership, and then we move here, because now, it's, we, now we're going to talk about the blessings and benefits for those who serve. Because if you're going to lead, if you're going to lead for God... There's going to be b- b- blessings and benefits. BB. Got to get it out. Verse 4. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive a crown of glory that will never fade away. Did you catch that? <laughs> Not when the chief shepherd, we have under shepherds and then we have a chief shepherd. At one time, um, I did this here many years ago, and I went come up to the pulpit, and I know some of you didn't appreciate this, but God and I were having a deal, and I resigned at the church. 
And I tell him, I said, I resigned from the church. And Jesus is now going to be your pastor. I am just a sub-pastor. He's the cornerstone. He's the everything. It's his church. You and I are his sheep, his people. See, we got to make sure Jesus stays on the throne. That's why we want to pray. want to continue to seek his heart. And see, okay, God, what do you want to do? How can we touch people? This last week, we had the Thanksgiving outreach, which um, blessed, I don't know, 80-something-plus families, full meal. I thought the line was never going to stop. And, and then we got, Angie, 100 boxes that were shipped out, Operation Christmas Child. I mean, these is what ministry is about. Movement and action and participation so the glory of God may be manifested. One day, Jesus is coming back. We only have so much time to be among, to do his work. I'm not one to waste time. I invest time. I don't waste time. I don't even like watching movies sometimes. Sometimes I think too much TV is a waste of time. That's my personal opinion. Because that's time I'll never get back. I could read a book that would make me better. No, not in wrong watching a, a movie, as long as it's not a Hallmark movie. <laughs> I'm really done with them. Let me share the blessings and benefits of those who serve. This is important for all of us to get this. Jesus Christ is coming back. Look at Matthew chapter 5, 11, 12. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. We don't like this, do we? Because if you've ever been persecuted, and I know what that sounds like and feels like, let me tell you something, that's a tough one to do. But Jesus says, I'm coming back. I'm coming back. He's going to be revealed one day. Let me sh show you a couple more. 2 Corinthians 5.10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Jesus is going to be your judge. Either way, you're a Christian, and you're going to be your judge if you're not a Christian. However, there's two types of judgments. The white throne for those who rejected Jesus, and the bema seat, those that received Jesus, but then are going to hand, God's going to bless them for their faithfulness. This is what 2 Corinthians chapter 5.10 is talking about. Check this one out. Revelation chapter 22.12.13. Behold, I am coming soon. <laughs> My reward is with me. And I will give to each person according to what they have done. I am the Alpha Omega, the beginning and the end. This is, this is, this is God saying he, he wants to bless those who have been faithful. So when you or I, we recognize and we see verse 4. And he says, when the chief shepherd appears, he then says, I'm gonna, I, I, you will receive the crown of glory and it will never, it'll never fade. And I want to just talk to you a little bit about this for a second. The crown of glory. In scripture, there are five different crowns that, that God says he's going to give you. Five different crowns. And I'm going to just share the crowns in the scriptures with you. The crown of glory is a crown for every person who feeds the flock. 
That's talking about the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the teachers, the ministers. Anyone carrying out God's work who is influencing someone, that's a crown of glory, 1 Peter 5, 4. The imperishable crown, uh, imperishable crown, noticed that we read in 1 Corinthians 9, 24, 25, people who brought their bodies under subjection or discipline and had self-control. God says, you know what? People done it for a crown. Back in the Olympics, they used to have a wreath, like a, a greenery wreath, and they used to give this with their, they would win. But what happened to the wreath? They would all decay after a little while, and there goes their prize. I got a lot of trophies in my house because of the things that I've done with cars and stuff. And guess what? They just collect dust. The bottom line is trophies. It's great to win. It's great to be a winner. Woo! But it goes away fast. But how many would like to invest your life, your whole life, in something that's more greater than you? And where one day God's going to open up his hand and bless because of what you've done for him. I'm, it's a, even if God wasn't handing out rewards, nothing would change in my life <laughs> because it's a joy to serve. The third crown is the crown of rejoicing, 1 Thessalonians 2.19. This is for every saved person who rejoices at the thought of Jesus and his return. Crown of righteousness. These are individuals in 2 Timothy 4.8 just waiting, waiting for Jesus Hungering for Jesus. These are individuals. And you can go into the scriptures about the crown. And the last one, the crown of life. The crown of life, people who have patiently endured trials, testings, and persecutions. There are blessings to come. But unfortunately, in order for the blessings, sometimes you have to go through some tough times. That's why 1 Peter chapter 1 says, you may have to endure suffering for a short time. You know, we live in a broken world. Every single person you know is broken. And the only person that can put them back together again is Jesus Christ. Look at verse 5. Here we have now a shift that calls us once again, as we've seen this over and over in 1 Peter, is another call to walk in humility. And it says in verse 5, Young men, in the same way, be submissive to those who are older. All of you close yourself with humility towards one another because God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. I want you to get this. This is important. Is that we, the, he's now talking to the young people, young leaders, and saying, young leaders, you need, to, you need to really submit yourself to the older leaders. Younger people, you need to learn. Be submissive. Learn something. And can I just say this too? And those who are older, do you know you can actually learn something who those who are younger? Because I firmly believe that the older need the younger, and the younger need the older. The older has something that they can give to the younger. But the younger can only receive it if they have ears and open heart to receive it. The younger said, well, you know, that's just old. Yeah. Let me just say something to those who are younger here. Those who are older used to be your age. I know you don't think, I think you think they came out of the womb that age, but they used to be your age. They, they've lived life too. And it's a wise person who learns from someone else's mistake. It's a foolish person who says, it'll never happen to me. There's a proper way to respect and, and honor and communicate with others. And we talked about that. How you be submissive. Just even in your disagreement with somebody, you can always be respectful. You can always bring honor. You don't have to agree. That's okay. I have meetings sometimes that we will disagree 
to, we agree to disagree. And I'm okay with that. Because this is where I'm at, this is what I believe, this is where I think, da-da. And we're okay to disagree. We just let God lead the rest. We're, I, I don't have a problem with disagreements. I have more problem with the attitude in which people disagree. You never, never should treat people rudely just because they have a different view than you. And if they want to treat you unkindly, you have no right to treat them unkindly. And if you catch yourself, you need to just pull it back, pull it back. Uh, for me, when I drive, and some people just can really test me sometimes, and I have a lot of patience, but some people on the road, I know you don't believe this, but some people on the road really can test you. And I have had a few moments. I think one of the sermons I shared, one of my moments. And uh, there, when there's fire in my eyes, I'm on a mission. And sometimes I just need a little voice to say, you know, you need to let that go. Mm. And I say, you're right. And I just have to say, okay, God. Because having fire in the eyes is not going to bring anything, change anything. You have to submit yourself and say, okay, God, okay, okay. It's okay to catch yourself in the process. How many know what I'm talking about? Says that the key, it says, close yourself. Close yourself with humility. So let me ask you a question. When you got up this morning, did those clothes jump on your body? Hmm? I mean, how many of you, when you get out of bed, boom, you get hit by the clothes and you go, oh, this is what I'm wearing today. No, you chose, you chose to put those clothes on your body. And we are so glad you did. Okay, but, but here the scripture says, close yourself, yourself with humility, meaning it is a choice you have to do. You have to close yourself and put on the right attitude. You have to close yourself by putting on the right thinking. You have to close. You have to do something in order for you to walk in the righteousness that God's called you to do. Put on, put on humility. Close yourself with it. It's important. You see, the mind is the knowledge that you know what God has done for you. So in humility, the first thing is your mind, your thinking. It's understanding that you are a sinner and God has saved you with your, his grace and that because he has lavished upon you, you are a new creation, a creation. So in your thinking, you realize, boy, if it wasn't for God, where would I be? That's the mind. Then it's the heart. Because in the soul, made up three parts, your intellect, your will, and your emotions makes up your soul. And so now the next part is your emotion, is your heart. And both work together. Your heart is the emotions of love we carry. And when we see how God has lavished upon us, our love, because he first loved us, now responds to God. And then all of a sudden, now we're put, we recognize who we are is because of what God has done. A person who has giftings and has talent and has all this, they can't claim it. They can't claim that, look who I am. Here I come, a bag of chips and a little bit more. Just remember, a bag of chips has more airs than chip. And sometimes we think we're all that in a bag of chips, but the bottom line, the bottom line is that if it wasn't for God, you wouldn't even have the abilities. If it wasn't for God, you wouldn't have those finances. If it wasn't for God, you wouldn't have whatever you have. It's a gift. It's a gift. But this is where it's an important here is the last part. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Pride pushes away God. Humility draws us to God. 
Now, I don't know about you, but according to the scripture, according to the scripture, it, it's sort of like saying when a person is proud, they're like saying, go ahead, God, make my day. You know what? I can do it myself. I don't need you, God. I don't know about you, but there's one person that I don't want to offend. There's one person here that I don't want to oppose, and it's my Savior, my God. I don't. Because when God steps in, hmm, hmm. Could you remember, talking about humility and thinking God stepping in. How about the prodigal son? Hmm? God goes up to his father. Dad, give me my inheritance. I want my inheritance now. Now, let me tell you, if my kid came up to me and said, Dad, I want my inheritance now. You know what I tell my kid? Hey, son, there's a door. That's just improper. But this father was wise. This father knew so much more. But God's telling the story because God's talking about him. And so here, here you go. This young, young son wants his money, so his father gives him the portion of his inheritance, and which is something that ought not to happen while the father's still living. But he does it anyhow, and he goes and he has a pate, a big pate, that he invites everybody. And so all this, after a long, long time, all the money is gone. Now he's with the pigs. He's feeding the slops to the pigs. And he has this, bing, light comes on. Hey, listen, if I go home, my father's servants are so much taken care of better than this. I'll just go home to be a servant because I'm not worthy to be a son. But as he's on his way home, what happens? What happens? His father sees him in advance and then rushes and puts a coat on him and sandals and a ring and kills a fattened calf and has a big celebration, another pate. But what happens? He goes out in pride, but he comes in home in humility. And humility is where God really steps in. God shows his best when we are humble before God. You know what that, you know what that, Son got, when he came home in humility, he got the arms of the father around him and then gave him the position he was his son. You see what humility does? Humility really invites you closer to the heart of God. So that's why verse 6 says, Humble yourself together, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. I can't help but to think of Esther here. I mean, his Esther, they're about to kill all of the Israelites. His Esther in a very difficult situation. And she fasts without food and water for three days and seeks God. She humbles herself before God. This is a beautiful illustration where people start to love God more than, and people more than themselves. And she put herself at risk for others. Humble yourself, therefore, under God's mighty hand, there, that he may lift you up in due time. And what happens? She goes in before the king. The king puts out the scepter. She's saved because if the king said, no way, Jose, she's dead. But the king put it out. She put her hand on it, gave her a safe passageway to the presence of, of the king. She came in humility. And God gave her favor. God sees the heart. She was willing to do that. Isaiah 66, 2 says, Has not my hand made all things? And so they came into being. 
declares the Lord, this is the one I esteem. Listen to what God says in Isaiah 66. He who is humble and a contrite spirit and trembles at my word. A contrite spirit is one who is just remorse, just sincerely remorseful for maybe their sin. Going before God and saying, God, I think of the publican hitting his hand as he prays and just says, I'm a sinner, oh God, forgive me for my sin. While the Pharisee is over there saying, oh God, look, look at me, I am your gift. There are a lot of people walking around today in this world think they are their gift. They walk with a thing, they think they're all that. Oh yeah, I am the gift of all, all mankind. There are some people who just walk with a humble heart. And those are the true gifts. Sometimes the true gifts are the ones that don't feel like a gift. But they are a true gift. That's why he says in verse 7, Cast all your anxiety on him, for he cares for you. I really would like people to really focus on this one here. Throw everything you're going through, your problems, your situations, put it on Jesus Christ. Don't carry it. Don't carry what Jesus has already told you he did. Anxiety is a nervous feeling. Anxiety is a tenseness or an unrest. It can give you all type of symptoms, hot rate, sweat, rapid breathing, you're tired. It will physically wear you out, anxiety. Because here's what happens in anxiety. You put all the pressure on you and put nothing on God like God can't handle it. Oh, no, no, no. You want to be in control. That is the problem. You have a spirit of control and you're not willing to rest in the hand who created all the universe. I have noticed, I have noticed throughout the years that those who have a spirit of control do not rest because they're always out to prove or they're always out to, they're just unrestful. I sometimes, I, I wish I had a little pill they could take. Hey, take this, just rest. It's called the gospel. I know about that. I have learned and taught myself how to chill out a little bit and let God be God. I understand that, if anybody does. Look at verse 8. Be prepared for spiritual warfare. So we're seeing how we have to walk in humility. We're seeing that how we're to do as leaders. We also have to understand there's a spiritual warfare go out. Look what it says in verse 8. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. I want you to get this. It's because there is an enemy of your soul that wants to take you away. I just wish people really would spend more time in God's word and really spend time putting God's word into practice. I really do. Because we live our life so often, I think, uh, for us. And everything we do is about us. I think there's a devil out there who's always trying to to try to get us so that we're not self-controlled, we're not sober, we're not alert. We're paying attention to everything else because there's, there's an enemy of your soul, the devil, and he is prowling around just waiting, waiting for someone, waiting for someone just to, to really send them for a loop. He's out to do, bring kill, steal, and destroy. And the reason why it happens is because they're no longer sober. They're so focused on everything else out there. They're not even focused on God. God may get an hour of their week, if that. An hour of their week. The rest of the time, the rest of the time, they're not even thinking about God. 
There's an enemy that doesn't want you to receive everything that God has for you. There's an enemy out there. And every time he can whisper to you, I think, yeah, you don't got to go to church. Yeah, you don't got to go to small group. Yeah, you don't have to participate in that. You know what? You're fine. Just stay home. You'll be fine. That's a lie of the devil because you can't find that in Scripture. Can't find that in Scripture. It's important with the people of God coming together. But there's an enemy out there. But it tells us in verse 9, resist him, stand firm in faith because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of suffering. What? Did you know that? That other people are going through trials? And you thought you were the only one. I thought I was the only one going through this. No, no, no. There's so many more people who are going through it. But it tells us, it tells us though, stand firm. Jane 4, 7 says, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. There's power in that verse. You should memorize James 4, 7. Submit to God, resist the devil, and he shall flee from you. It says resist him. But the only way you can resist him is you have to have sober mind. Your mind has to be focused on God. Your faith needs to rise up. But how can you have strong faith if you're not in the Word of God? Those two have to come together. You have to be learning about God. You have to be participating in what God's doing in your heart and life. God's speaking. Stand firm in faith. For you're not walking in these struggles all by yourself. There's brothers all around the world going through struggles. And can I tell you? There are some people going through struggles way worse that you're going through right now. Way worse. You know what helps me? When I'm going through a struggle, I always remember my words my dad used to say to me all the time. He used to say, son. (laughs) Yes, dad. He used to say, um, he said, you're complaining you have no shoes, but if you ever meet the person who has no feet, you probably would be happy that you have no shoes. He just said, sometimes, you know, and what are you trying to say to me? That there's always somebody worse than your predicament you're in. And if you could just stop complaining about where you're at and start doing something where you're at and trusting God where you're at, it can make your day a light brighter. Uh, that's what I do to help me. I, I help my own say, you know what, God, as bad as this is, I know there's, there's, more, there's worse out there. And you know what, God, if they can go through it and you're helping them, you're going to help me too. Someone say amen. amen. All right, let me wrap this up. A promise in the midst of pressure. I love this. I love this. A promise in the midst of pressure. Here's everything going on, and then he gives us this incredible promise. And it says in verse 10 and 11, And the glory of all grace, who has called you into his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered for a little while. Someone say a little while. Mm-hmm. Will himself... Restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. Amen. Wait a minute. Did we get this? This, this, this? To the God of all grace, all provision, all strength. If we really, really, really know that we start focusing on the problem and stop focusing on the God who's over the problem. He says this. You may after, you may have to suffer for a little while. There's a season in life that's going to be really tough for you, son. There's going to be a season in life, daughter. It's going to be really tough. But I want you to hang in there. I want you to put your hands to the plow. I really want you to get to know me. And this is what I'm going to, I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to restore you and make you strong. I'm going to do it myself. 
Think about this. Can you imagine God is going to be working with you? This, this, this just makes my boat float. This makes my little liver quiver. God is going to come on the scene and restore. He's going to make us strong and firm and steadfast because he has all power over every situation. And even when the situation doesn't go our way, and sometimes it doesn't, we have to remember the God of the promise, the text of the promise, and the God who made the promise, who called you. Even though you have to suffer for a little while, you go through some hardships. The people in First Peter are going through some hardships. But we sometimes, when we go through hardships, you know, we don't want to stay in hardships. We, we, we don't see what God's trying to do. We don't notice that there's a fourth man in the fire. Jesus was with the three Hebrew children. He showed up. He did. He didn't send an angel. You notice that? Jesus himself was in that fire with the three Hebrew children. There in Daniel. Let's close this up. God has a plan for your life. And his power is forever. Verses 12 to 14 is the now a, a conclusion of the chapter. And there's only a couple things I want to bring out here. It says, with the help of Silas, who I regard as a faithful brother, I have written to you briefly, encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. She who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends you her greetings. So does my son Mark. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to all who are in Christ. Let me just talk to you a little bit about this last benediction found in 1 Peter. First of all, Silas is the one with Paul that was on the second missionary. He was the one that took Barnabas' place. And so Silas most likely helped him in this letter. And it tells us the reason First Peter was written. One of the reasons, I have written this to you briefly to encourage you. Why? Because you're in the problems. And when you're in the problem, everybody needs encouragement. And to testify, to help you remember, remember we talked about the remembering part, to help you remember all that God has done, how God's grace has been manifested and so that they could stand fast and strong. And then if you notice verse 13. She who is in Babylon. And all the time people see this as in Babylon. Wait a minute. How can they be Babylon? This was written in Rome. Doesn't make sense. But the reality is most people believe that Peter put Babylon and not the church of Rome. Because persecution was taking place in Rome. And so, so not to give any problems to the church, they typified or typed Rome as Babylon, which, of course, is a, is a message within itself. And, and I'm just going to close on verse 14. When I was um, in Canada um, many years ago, um, how many years now is that? Um, eight years ago. And... Um, and when you're around different cultures and stuff, normally they'll kiss you on the cheek. Depending on the culture, they kiss you maybe three times or two times or sometimes just one time. That would be America. America is one time. Uh, French is two times. And Russian could be three or four times. And, um, and so when I look at this, I, I just want to say, you know what, saints... Greeting someone with a holy kiss 
means something very precious. Now, when Judas kissed Jesus, he took something so beautiful as an, uh, a form of uh, an act of portrayal. But I want, I want you to understand something uh, that is, when you give someone and you hug them and you give them a kiss, if you give them a kiss, but mean it with love, a kiss of love. You ever see those people who kiss in the ear? Yeah? They're like kissing there. They're not even kissing the person. I, 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 I really don't like air kisses. I tell people with air kisses, don't kiss me. I don't want air kiss. You're going to kiss me on the cheek, but don't give me an air kiss. I don't want to do, mess with my lipstick. Then, then just don't kiss. But this was normal in the culture of that time, greeting another, another, even with a man on a man's cheek. This was not looked wrongly. Um, i just tell you a quick story before I close. But I had a friend of mine who was from India, and we're walking to the chapel one day, and he just grabs my hand and starts swinging it as we went to the chapel. And I'm saying to myself, what is my friend doing? I know he's from another country. I know he's from another country. I kept on telling myself. But I left it because I knew Philip quite well. So we got to the chapel and stuff, and I said, Philip, uh, why did you grab my hand as we came to the chapel? He said, he said Brian. He said, I'm talking his accent. <laughs> He said, um, you know, in my country, when you are heart-to-heart with somebody, you lead them where you go. And so I'm very close to you. You're my first American friend, and I really appreciate our friendship, and you got part of my heart, and that's what we do in my country. And he explained it. It was just very beautiful. And then I said, well, let me tell you something, Philip. I appreciate that immensely. But you're in America. I said, don't hold my hand again. But you see, is in the ancient culture, um, the reality is greeting each other with a holy kiss was a beautiful act of love. And I think we as Americans probably could get back to a little bit of true biblical love. Love is good when it's done in the right way. You know, never throw out the baby with the bathwater. I think a lot of times that's what people do. God has a great plan for your life. And when we look at chapter 5, we see... Leaders are to lead with a willful heart. Leaders are to understand there's a blessing and a benefit for those who serve. And when we serve, we are to walk in humility. And we need to always be prepared and understand there are spiritual battles we are going to fight, not maybe, guarantee. And we need to have the right attitude in Christ to fight against them. But we have a promise in the midst of the pressure that God himself is going to restore us and help us and strengthen us. And this was the message that God gave to the people. Let's go before Father. Father, I thank you so much for who you are. You are a good and great God. And Father, I just ask right now that you help each person here. We ask that their hearts would be drawn ever so close to you. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I don't know where you are. I don't know where you online are. But Jesus Christ wants you to give your whole heart to him. He wants everything. Not just a portion. And all you have to do is accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. Say, I've sinned. I've done it my own way. I need you, God. I need you in my life. I believe you died on the cross. And on the third day, you rose again. And all you do is, with even your eyes closed, right where you are, say, Jesus, I give you my heart. I give you my life. 
in the name of Jesus, I surrender, I surrender. And, and as you, many have done that, maybe you've done it online, just give it to God. I, I want to just challenge you in the aspect, the aspect that of serving God. Are you really serving God wholeheartedly? Are you really all in in service? Those watching online, do you have a belief in God? But that's all it is, is a belief. You're not serving God in a capacity in the, in the way God has created you. I want to challenge each one of you, each one of you, that God has given you giftings and God has called you to serve somewhere in something so that he gets all the praise and glory. And if that's your heart to serve even greater beyond what you're serving, raise your hand right where you are. Yeah, 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 yeah. Maybe you're online. God wants to do a work. But the first thing is to make Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior. And those that have made Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, the second thing now is just to really press in and let God just be God. As you put your hands to the plow, don't allow complaining. Don't allow what you think. Just push into God and love him with our heart, mind, and soul. And God's going to do a great work. Father, will you just touch each one? Move by your spirit and help us, God. Help us to yield our lives to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we thank you for joining us today. Let's continue to believe that God is going to do a work in all of our lives and in his church, despite our current circumstances. If you would like to support the ministry of Salem First Assembly, you can do so by mailing to 430 Route 45, Salem, New Jersey, 08079, or by visiting our website at salemfirstag.org. Please join us for service next Sunday at 10.30 a.m., or you can watch service every Sunday afternoon on Facebook at Salem First Assembly or YouTube at Salem First AG. You can also listen to the message every Tuesday on Podbean. Have a blessed rest of your day. Let's remember to be a blessing and that life is living in faith every day.